Hi, I'm Julie Wilkinson and I'm a Chartered Management Accountant and I'm excited to be launching the Build and Exit podcast. This podcast is for business owners and entrepreneurs who are looking to expand their business portfolio by acquisition or at some point in the future want to exit their business. We're going to bring real life stories and experiences of people who have grown by acquisition, who have exited their businesses and other areas of business such as funding and cash flows. So there'll be lots of opportunity to learn different areas of business and how you can, in the end, transition your business from a lifestyle to an asset. So look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, and welcome to the Build and Exit podcast. I'm Judy Wilkinson, and I uh, founded the Build and Exit podcast because my company, Wilkinson Accounting Solutions, helps business owners with acquisitions and exit planning. Our mission is to save the world from failed acquisitions and give our listeners lots of top tips and guidance on things to think about if you're looking to exit your business and uh, what acquirers should look for um, when they're looking at purchasing business. So I'm really excited today to have Chris O'Connell. So I've invited Chris on because he's got a really exciting story. So uh, Chris, used to own a a recruitment business that was sort of 25 to 30 mil uh, turnover with quite a lot of staff and actually sold through private equity, uh, which we're delving into today. And has since sold that business and now is sort of a coach and mentor uh, to help uh, purpose-driven owners you know, looking to build and grow and sell, uh, but also very into mindset and well-being, which I'm quite into because I do a lot of uh, meditation and manifestation as well. So I quite like that. So yeah, I'm really excited to have you. So firstly, over to you, Chris, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Julie. Thanks for having me on. I love the show. I love the context of the show as well. I love your passion. So I'm looking forward to to telling you all about my my story and kind of the, the highs and lows of my journey. So I started out in recruitment 25 years ago for a big business called S3. Um, Those in the recruitment industry will know it. Some people out in the industry will know it as well, but they've got sort of 4,500 consultants worldwide, 1.4 billion pound business across 60 offices in 20 countries. I walked in there as a very fresh-faced, naive, wet behind the ears, 21-year-old who was quite shy and quite you know, quite anxious, really, due to to a, a troubled childhood, which I'll tell you about later, maybe. But ordinarily you wouldn't put me in that environment but you know people with the shiny shoes white ties driving ferraris i just i just kind of uh fell in love with it basically and, and smashed it out of the park so I, I became one of their brands uk top bidder then the world top worldwide top bidder then the whole group across the whole group's top bidder billing a million quid a year and uh loved it for five years went my way up there became a manager director team leader made them 15 million quid left there in 2003, set up my own business. In nine years, got it to 100 people, 25 million pound turnover, 14 industry awards. Uh, our Southwest Entrepreneur of the Year, absolutely phenomenal business. To this day, people tell me it's, it's one of, if not the best recruitment businesses out there. We just opened up our third office. I wanted to expand into Paris and Australia and all these kind of things. And my business partner walked in one day and said, didn't want to do it anymore. Just had his third child. I obviously couldn't afford to buy him out because I didn't have sort of 12 and a half million quid my half of the business in cash that I could buy about it was all tied into the business so I did a private equity deal and the first um, year was good and then the second year it all unraveled um, they infiltrated my board and kind of the culture disseminated really really quickly and although I was the CEO you know I retained my 50% and got a decent loan no it was all good it was it was a complete sea change to what it was you know I was looking at spreadsheets every day and the whole the, the counting the coffee granules and all sorts of, it was it was just um, and it transpired that actually that deal went 
really wrong. And I kind of lost all of it. I lost the whole business, lost seven houses, lost access to my children, got divorced, had three suicide attempts. It was a dark, dark, dark time. It took me two or three years to kind of even come out of that in any sort of format. Um, and I came back onto LinkedIn about three years ago, told my story and utilized that experience and pivoted my business and built an NED portfolio business now where I've helped over 40, 45, I think it is now, uh, businesses scale. Um, a lot of them I'm chairman or holding board meetings and getting them to exit as well. And um, I love that. And I, I think I've, I've utilized the, the highs and the lows of that experience. And there's not much I haven't seen now. So learning that whole private equity space is really good. Building that scale of the business. So I'm, I'm a podcast host as well. I'm very into mindset and purpose. And yeah, there's a little bit about me. Wow, Chris, that is quite a story, I think, actually. And one, you know, I, I just, that's why I really wanted to come on because I know I spoke to you about the story. And I think, you know, especially the well-being side of it as well. You know, we talk a lot on here about acquisitions and business mm. and what people have to do. But I think people's mindset and health is really important as well. I mean, how did you eventually manage to get through it and sort of come back to life, would you say? Well, I think I think that um, it was time on my own, really. I kind of got divorced, moved out of the family home and spent some time on my own and kind of forced myself to look at myself and, 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 and understand that, uh, maybe some of this was down to me instead of pointing fingers at other people all the time and realising, although I was, I was a multimillionaire at 26, 27, I was buying 45 grand watches, Range Rovers and all these things and got to 10 million, 15 million, 20 million, 25 million. And every time I got there, it was just kind of like a bit of an anti-climax. So I think at the time I didn't think it, but now I think it was probably one of the best things that happened to me. So it's kind of like a dawn of realisation that money growing scaling businesses is, is is great and important but it's not the key to happiness so i i i, I thought my whole world had ended but actually it just started mm. because then i was then i looked at my purpose and my why and what i was doing and um what i'm doing now uh, i enjoyed i enjoy much more than what i was doing back then so it was a journey of about two or three years of personal development looking at myself understanding what my values are being out of the rat race being out of chasing the next office watch car pound sign and actually be, being happy in my own skin and being happy with my kids and being happy looking at the trees and all that kind of stuff now I've got a bit of both where I've got that drive that enthusiasm that ambition to grow my business but also um, it's not 99.99% of my focus yeah so when you sold the business obviously you said they were about your business partner yeah. how long did you make that decision over was that quite a quick thing or did you get ready was it already set up ready to sell i think i think when we first set it up there wasn't necessarily a, a definitive vision but uh, and actually this is one of the first things i i i, I teach or mentor my business to do even if they're not thinking about it I, I get them to do a vision mission values but also get them to have an exit strategy and plan so but going back to me we didn't really have that but as the business got to sort of big levels 30 staff 50 staff three offices 80 staff you know my business partner more than me was thinking oh right you know i think we should start to plan so i think probably only about a year before uh we did the deal we he, he we started talking about it and then um we did and it didn't take long to do before we kind of even completed the information memorandum we had like four offers so someone must have heard about it we didn't even need, need to go to market so um the deal happened really really quickly i got a really really good offer 
uh, better than the one I actually went for. Um, but they pulled the plug and then uh, the original firm came back in. And um, yeah, I mean, I remember on deal day, probably signing about 400 different things. And as you well know, probably, you know, the amount of due diligence that they do, they, they, they leave no stone unturned. Every email, every transaction, every almost every every phone call, and, and rightly so. So, yeah, um, it didn't take long to do. I, I, I think that if your business is good and, you you know, it's not just about... I mean, EBIT is a good driver, isn't it? But it was the strength of our management team. It was it was the, our average fee. It was our breadth of customer base. It was our market. It was the timing. Everything was tick, 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 tick. So we got quite lucky in that regard, I think, as well. Yeah. So the deal goes through and you said it was good for the first year. What was your involvement after the sale? Did you have to stay on or? Yeah. When we first set it up, it was 50-50 kind of joint CEOs. Pete left and then I became the CEO. So I was the CEO of the business. And then I had, we bought in, they bought in a, a, a pseudo chairman and three other people as directors um, and a couple of finance people, some other people, quite a lot of people. But my, my role didn't necessarily change. I was still the CEO on paper, but... You know, I've, I've dealt with many private equity firms. Did they give me the autonomy to, to run it how it was? No, I don't think they did. They kind of like, it kind of was a bit of like night and day in terms of the beauty of our business was the culture and how hands how, how hands on I was. And I used to sit in the middle of the office and not expect anyone to do something. I'm not, I'm not prepared to do myself and kind of drove the business. But I spent a lot of my time post, post the transaction studying P&Ls and studying where we could save money and studying where, you know, it kind of, that was the d- deterioration of it, I think. Okay. So as part of the exit then, you wanted to stay, you you was planning to stay there for a long time, a long period, was you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. I, the, the, the reason why the deal was done was I, I, I saw this private equity vehicle as, as a great track record or personal people that could actually get it from 25 million to 100 million from you know one and a half million quid EBIT to four million quid EBIT and just you know I saw another three to five years in it at least but it just didn't transpire like that unfortunately. So then after the first year then when it went wrong what are you happy to tell a little bit about what happened? Mm. Well I'd love to um, I have actually signed a a really strict gagging order and NDA. So I can't go into, into, into too much of the details. All I can say is that it wasn't anywhere near as expected. What was the reality wasn't as, as, as expected. And um, yeah, I think that um, there was a certain modus operandi that, that was on the table that I wasn't necessarily aware of. And uh, instead of wanting to drive the business forward, I think they wanted to just because we had a very heavy sort of contract book in terms of we had lots of consistent recurring revenue. So even if we didn't do any business for the next two years, we had business coming in. So I think they wanted to kind of like keep that, uh, not drive the business forward and just and just save money rather than going the other way. And that was against my principles, my morals. And um, it just became very difficult to actually make any decisions around wanted to scale, wanted to hire, wanted to get new offices, new people. It was just a clashing all the time. I was I was always the one that would want to spend the money and go for it and drive forward. And, you know, that that didn't happen. Yeah. Well, it's an impressive business, though. I think there, there, there are there are pros and cons. I mean, there's pros, as you know, there's pros of bootstrapping, isn't there, where, you, where you've got the flexibility and you've got the autonomy to kind of do what you want. But if you do find the right um, private equity vehicle, 
then you can accelerate more quickly as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, we were of law. We're, I mean, like, for instance, we're in the talks on 11 deals at the minute because we help people with acquisitions. And we see it a lot, actually, where um, the buyer, I suppose, the, the buyer buys and they have these terms with the seller. And I think in your case, it was the other way. You didn't fit in. But I think they, we see it from both sides because sometimes the seller can't change. So the buyer comes in and has like new ideas. You know, they want to do it their way. They maybe because a lot of the owner, I mean, your business looked like it was had sort of moved into a corporate mindset anyway, probably. But a lot of these SMEs where it's just sort of owner driven, they're not really doing budgets. The, although they might have a management team, the management team don't really drive anything so much. And then and so some of my other podcasts, we've had people come on and talk about culture and why it causes problem oh, totally i mean a lot of my clients don't have any kind of rigor around operational financial that all that kind of stuff i think i i totally understand what you're saying we had some good quality stuff but they brought in don't get me wrong they brought in some amazing stuff but i think i think you can go too far the other way 100 it, it was literally it was i think is mm. i think i think you have to have that rigor the process the the pnls the balance sheets and focusing on the bottom line but if you're destroying the culture at the same time you're therefore destroying the revenue yeah, and people growing it. I mean, like I've worked in a lot of corporate firms and actually we all know that corporate firms go under. I think corporate firms have good structure and I think people could yeah. learn from a corporate structure, like a maybe like a planning cycle, but nobody needs a 100-page report that nobody reads. You know, people just want real information quickly to then like make decisions really. Because um, I think the problem is it's looked from an outsider listening to what you're saying. I think it seems like, you know, you had a bit of a corporate mindset, but still an SME sort of like, you know, business culture and these people have come in and tried to just bring in too much corporate and it just didn't sit well that's what it sounds like from an outside but um yeah yeah so yeah there's, so now, there's more to it but i can't i can't i can't really no say. that's all right yeah yeah that's a shame but never mind so now <laughs> though so you've come back and you're back on linkedin um yeah, yeah. so now you're coach and mentor so what does that entail i mean what sort of things are you helping people do do you, are you helping people yeah. like buy businesses or yeah, no, so a lot, a lot of my clients come to me and they've got 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, want to get to 50, 80, 100, they've got 4 million quid, they want to get to 20 million quid, or they want to achieve an exit. So well, one of the first things I do is, 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 is work with the CEO, the founders and the owners, understand their strengths and weaknesses, because more often than not the problem, yes, it's operations, marketing, branding, P&Ls, all that kind of stuff, but it's actually them as individuals, it's their mindset, it's their ego, they, they try to do they try to be all things to all people. They're doing loads of things averagely. My role is to get them to do a few things really well, understand their strengths and hold them accountable. So I do an audit on, on all of those kind of things um, and make them get out of their own way. A lot of the problems they are, they're, they're quite dictatorial. They're not really executing anything tangible. So we do all that kind of stuff. Then it's the mission, vision, and values, understanding where we are now, where do you want to get to and how we're going to get there. That can be in headcount, profitability, revenue, strategy, where we're going to point the arrow, markets, do all that kind of stuff. Then I do a leadership development review and program for the CEO and and all those all the other directors, understanding where they can improve as leaders. Then it's a career development plans for the whole business. So everyone's got, so it's not just the CEO's vision, it's our vision. So the whole business is brought into this vision of where we're going. And if it is a three to five year exit, we say that and we're open about it and we create opportunity and share schemes, all that kind of stuff. Then it's looking at sales, marketing, branding, operations, all that kind of stuff. And it's the whole suite. So 
I've got a few clients where I'm just starting out with them. I've got a few clients where I'm two years in and we're getting into sort of a fit for purpose stage. I've got a few clients where I've got some equity and we're kind of getting them to the, you know, to the sales stage and it's different ends of the cycle. And I love it. I love going in and coming out again. And um, yeah, it's an exciting time at the moment. Yeah, sounds really exciting. And is there, I mean, do you ever think there's a, do you ever recommend to people that they're not in a place to sell like do it does anyone ever because we see it people come and say oh we're gonna sell in six months but they've got no reporting no no management team (sighs) no real systems and processes um i mean do you see that do people approach you like in that state yeah i think i think they underestimate what what actually is needed to get it anywhere near someone's interest you know, I think they 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 have a couple of good years and think, oh, we can sell it. And they've got literally they don't even have any board reports, they don't even have board meetings, they don't even have a, don't even some some don't even record their sales well enough. So, it's it's it, yes, they 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 do underestimate it. And it's, you know, as you know, there's so many factors. The strength of the management team, more often than not, it's kind of like the business is built on. 20% of the people and there's 80% worth of fat. And if, if one person leaves or the CEO leaves or whatever, you know, so I think it's just educating them and you can't, well, in my sector, you can't turn a business into a fit for sale business overnight. Um, so I'm straight with them and honest with them and say, look, if you want me on board, it might take this amount of time to get, and this is what we need to do. Or if I feel that the owners are just living in cloud cuckoo land, I won't work with them because I haven't got time, energy, and I don't need, I don't need the hassle. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. I mean, we see it so often. It's, well, especially on the buy side when they're looking at the seller's information. I mean, half, I mean, I, we probably see about 100 balance yeah. sheets a month. I don't think we've ever seen one that right. reconciles. <laughs> the, the accounting is oh, generally but, always, they're always quite poor. Um, yeah, but it's shame. also they're unrealistic. Yeah, but it's the, it's the unrealistic expectations. I'd, I'd, I was trying to help one of my existing clients do a JV with this, with another client. We were quite sensible about where we were in 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 our valuation with about us, but this business wanted like a, a fifteen multiplier on turnover, not even on EBIT, and there's all this kind of all this kind of stuff where it's like you, either either you think we're stupid or you're living in a different world. And I think you know sometimes you see it on Dragons Ten where they cut they they pick these numbers out of the sky, so it's mm. it's, it's an interesting one. Yeah. Well, I know because I mean, I've seen I've seen businesses that are being presented to buyers and they've made like maybe 10K loss in the year or 20K loss. And they might only send one year initially. And then suddenly there were 450,000. And you're like, how does a business in? So how does it? So because what they've done in that year, they then added it back. I've literally seen an example where it's 10,000 loss and suddenly it's 150,000 profit in the year. So obviously that then three times, you know, and I'm like, how yeah. how can like to me but buyers do believe it because they're uneducated but me personally i'd be thinking how, if the yeah. but if the business didn't need that amount of cost surely they wouldn't be spending it i mean that would worry yeah. me straight away because why would they be spending such a high amount of cost and even if the director's taking that as their own personal there is a limit to like how much you should be if you've made a loss that year the the, the director shouldn't really be taking that amount of money You've always got to go in with a mindset of it's too good to be true, and you all there's always something that they don't tell you, isn't there? You know, and they, you know, I think that. Um, but for me, it's about getting out in the open. It's like if you've got some debt or you've got a loan or whatever, just tell us because you're going to find out anyway. Might as well get to the chase. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, or get it right yourself because you know, 
at the end of the day, I, I actually, funnily enough, I put a, a post on LinkedIn today about a cool accounting. It's where most people go and start, you know, they're not accounting correctly yeah. just for their basic bookkeeping. And it does change the yeah. valuations a lot. And um, But if you just get somebody on board, like we go in, you know, to, we help sellers and look at their financial, how they do their bookkeeping, how they report on it. Because ultimately, if you get into a state where you've got a bit of a board pack, that I suppose essentially becomes your seller pack eventually and you're ready. You don't need to lie or manipulate because you see the truth, yeah. you accept the truth yeah. and then you fix the truth, you know, and you make it become the yeah. business you want. And then you, and then at the end of the day, if it's a good business, the buyer will pay a higher multiple. You don't need to manipulate the yeah. EBITDA to get no. them to pay more. You should let them pay more and get your business to run well in the first place. Oh, totally. The, the power of running a, a decent board pack with decent board meetings, do that for six, nine, 12 months. It makes you run the business better anyway. And the amount of businesses out there that don't do that and think it's overkill. But once I've started to implement it, they, they love it. They love reporting on it. And it's, it's it, I, I, as a buyer, I'd prefer to see the shit in, re, in reality and be honest about it and go out rather than finding out later on. Because then it's like you start to lose faith anyway, don't you? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And actually, people are still willing to pay good money for businesses, even if they've got a bad side. Yeah. As long as you're open, yeah. yeah, it might change the deal structure or how often you get paid it and things like that. But yeah. that doesn't mean you can't still get a good value for it. But I don't know why people yeah. try to be. I think it's just because they just feel they just have this. They just think, oh, I earn a, a good lifestyle. You know, they take in a lot of money. Mm. They just instantly think it's worth a lot. And then when they start to look into it, they're like, oh, my God, it's not. They try and do yeah. it quickly, I think. And they just want everything tomorrow. And unfortunately, that's yeah, not real life, I, is it? And what, what I was shocked about when I did my deal sort of 10 years ago now was the fees. And you've got, you got to equate for those. I mean, the 400 grand for the corporate finance team, you know, you've got 150 grand lawyer bills, you've got tax bills to pay. You've got, you know, you've all got, you've got to, you've got to be aware of these kind of things, right? Yeah. Oh, so the ones that say the no money down deals. I mean, the way I always talk about them. The amount of people that yeah. just think they can buy a business with no money because somebody's telling them on a course they can leverage asset financing and pay for the whole deal. But it's like they don't even have a cash flow, a plan. They've got no contingency, no risk strategy. And um, I'm not, you know, I know you can get good deals. I've seen it. You know, we've done our own good deals and acquisitions. Yeah. But you don't just, the hard work starts once you buy it, not when you're buying it. Uh -oh. And all, and all, and also these owners that sometimes think they can get the full price and then swung off into the sunset on day one. Well, no. If you want to go straight away, you can. That's going to come at a cost. Whereas if you want to stay and do it, it's all that kind. There's so many factors, right? Yeah. So, but anyway, one thing I did just want to touch base on as well is the mindset side because I do a, quite a lot of meditation and manifestation. So I'm into it. So I'm quite interested yeah. to hear about. I mean. Do you do that with your coaching or is that just something you're interested in on the side? Oh, fun. I, I, I do. I mean, I've just literally put a, 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 the phone down or Zoom call down to someone who, one of my CEOs who actually needed that. He, he was overwhelmed, becoming burnt out, said he's, he's, he's hired more people, but he's more stressed now and has more workload than when he, when he was doing it on his own. And I just got him to write down the three to five most important things he does in business, but then personal development, health and fitness. He talked about wanting to do yoga, wanting to go hiking with his wife. And we, and we only really chiseled down on his diary and his work management. And he realized that if he spent more time with his wife and did some more meditation, did some yoga, he'd have more free time to execute the work properly. So sometimes I think that, you know, it's about zooming out as, an, as a business owner. And the, the most productive thing doesn't have to be a business thing. 
So I'm all for routine, I'm all for meditation, I'm all for having the right mindset. And, and I learned that I, I've, I now effectively run, I think, 15 different businesses. I've got more time on my hands than I ever have because I, I, I'm strict with my time and I see personal development, health and fitness, purpose, relationships, all that kind of stuff, just as important as, as the business. So I think that's where a lot of CEOs can learn um, that, you know, sometimes slowing down a little bit can help you speed up. And do you think you knew that when you used to run your big business? So when you had your 25, do you think you, do you think it was just work, work, no, work then? I wish that was, yeah, that was my biggest downfall. I wish I did. I was 99.9% focused on work. I sent emails at three o'clock in the morning. I lost relationships. I was insatiable. And on one hand, it helped because it drove the business. But then on the other hand, I became so focused on it. I was just become a bit of a, just a bit of an animal and it kind of like I was I was almost turning people off and I, I just think that yeah it can be counterproductive so I think that yes you have to work hard yes you have to be dedicated of course you do but you've got to have that time where you've got to have that downtime it's really important I mean, I found because I realised because uh, I've only had my business three and a half years, and I re- I in January this year I went to Jamaica, and I've I've built. I mean, we've got like nine employed now. So as my business has grown, I've stepped nice. back a bit. Yeah, and um, I, I after I went to Jamaica, I thought, God, it can run because I was away for nearly four weeks, and I came back and like the business was just fine, and it made me realise oh, yeah. there is more to work because I think I had done too much. So I started doing, so I joined a wellness center. So I do like yoga, body balance. Um, mm. And then I started doing my meditation. And what I found it does for me is just clarity. Because I think yeah. sometimes you're so busy and you're overworked. Right. And I just find, I, I do, I, I try to meditate twice a day now, sort of morning and night, not, not like hours at a time, just sort of five minutes here and there and just like breathe. And I think it has made, it does make me more clearer on my decisions. Definitely. Yeah. I, I feel like I make, I'm making more clar- clarified yeah. like decisions for myself. And, 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 and when you get that right with your CEOs that as well, I think the CEO then uh, impart that on his team. And I think that, I think businesses, the ones that are doing well are the ones that are generally focused on well-being as well not over the top but making sure there is flexi time or making sure there is a, a mental health um a, a program Make, making sure there is the ability for people to go to the gym and all that kind of stuff and i think covid has affected productivity in a different kind of way but in a good way actually so i, th- I think the landscape's changed from say five or six years ago right yeah. Oh, I think so. Yeah. I mean, I was always going to do a virtual model, but I literally started officially in Jan 20 just before COVID. So I didn't really have a choice, but I was, I was always going to consider a virtual model anyway. But, um, but yeah, no, I find it really interesting. We have flexibility. So like, for instance, one of our staff wanted to go to Ireland because her partner lives in Ireland and she was like, oh, I need to go to Ireland for six weeks. So like, yeah, go to Ireland for six weeks. She's like, oh my God, I can't believe I'm allowed to go and work in Ireland for six weeks. You know, but it was like, yeah. well, we work virtually anyway. So, you know, if that's where you're happy, like go and go and work there. It doesn't matter, does it? As long as you still do the hours, it yeah. doesn't bother us. But, but I used to be guilty of the opposite though. You know, well, there's, I think it was about 11 or 12 years ago and one of these girls that we hired, she wanted to do work from home. I was literally like, no, there's no effing chance you're doing that really anti it and I, I look back at myself and think what I was like now I now I teach my my, my my businesses not to be like that and I think the problem is a lot of business owners are stuck in that old school mentality of you've got to run through a bit wall for me you've got to make 100 calls a day you've got to do 15 hours a day you've got to do it's like actually that's such an old rhetoric that did actually work back then but productivity doesn't have to be 24-7 you can do it in a different yeah. way I think yeah 
Oh, wow. Well, we're coming to the end. Thanks so much. I think that's been brilliant because I think your, your story is really inspiring, I, I think, personally, anyway. So I'm really glad that you've come on. Thank you. And I just want to say to our listeners, thanks so much for listening to the show. If you love what we do, hit the subscribe button because, you know, it helps more listeners find our show. And yeah, we'll see you again soon. So once again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to our podcast. I hope you found it useful. If you think there's anyone else in your network that might benefit from our podcast, then please share it with them. Either just click the link and send it to them or send it in a Facebook group or other social media channel. Don't forget to subscribe so other podcasts come to you directly as and when we launch them. So I'm really looking forward to seeing you next time. We've got some really exciting things coming up and we'll see you again soon. 